Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We are continuing our Bible study series called The Life of Peter. And we subtitled it from Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. Well, we are more than halfway through at least what we have recorded in Scripture about Peter's life. Okay? And we have worked our way all the way up to and past the crucifixion and the resurrection. Before the crucifixion and the resurrection. And tonight we're going to look at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came Uh, But from the beginning of Jesus calling Peter up until this point, Peter has been a bold, zealous, outspoken, active follower of Jesus. And half the time he's doing things right, and half the time he's doing things wrong. And half the time he's saying things right, and half the time he's saying things wrong. In the story we're going to see tonight, we're going to be focused primarily about after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit along with all the other disciples in the upper room. And from that point on, he never makes a mistake again, just like the rest of us, right? No. (laughs) In fact, one of the last uh, lessons we will study as we go through this series is a time that the Apostle Paul had to rebuke the Apostle Peter in front of a whole congregation because Peter got it wrong again. But God used Peter powerfully. But I will tell you this, at least as far as the accounts we have in Scripture, Peter makes less and less and less mistakes. And that's certainly a goal that we all work toward. Ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience that was hard to explain? You went through something, and it's like, how do I explain that to somebody? And no matter how you tried to put it into words, it was just very difficult because it was such an unusual experience or the way it impacted you or whatever. That's the situation that Peter's in tonight in our story, but it's not just hard to explain, perhaps, or could be hard to explain. He does a very good job, by the way, um, because of the uniqueness of it and his own personal experience of it, because God does something so unusual, all right? Just a quick review. Um, In the last couple of weeks and right before this passage, Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, and over the next 40 days spent time with his disciples off and on. He didn't spend full time, 100%, but he would appear from time to time. He was teaching them. He was helping them to understand what had happened and why it happened and how it related to scriptures in the Old Testament. And the last lesson we looked at a couple weeks ago, he just getting ready to ascend into heaven. He says, wait in Jerusalem. He's already given them a great commission, go and make disciples, you're supposed to take this message to the world. But before that happens, go and wait for the promise of the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will have power to be witnesses here, the neighboring area, to your enemies, the Samaritans, and then all over the world. And so our last lesson, we were looking at the fact that they were waiting Um, We were talking about how Peter's leadership is still growing, all right? And uh, while they were waiting, they waited for 10 days. They had no idea how long they'd be waiting, but that's how how long it ended up being. But they waited patiently. They waited obediently. While they were waiting, they were praying. They were worshiping. They were consulting God's word. They were walking in unity, which was a miracle (laughs) because they'd struggle with that. 
Um, and they also took care of some business. All those things are things that we need to do while we're waiting. If you missed that lesson, you can go back and listen to it online. So tonight we're looking at the day that finally Jesus' promise comes through. God, Jesus, I mean, sends the Holy Spirit, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You may be familiar with the story, but in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to really dig into this two Sundays from now on the day of Pentecost, but it says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is Acts 2 verse 1. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here's the interesting thing. We often think that they're in the upper room, and they may have been, but we don't know for sure. We know that much of the ten days, they were in the upper room. But Luke also tells us that when they weren't in the upper room, they were in the temple. But right after the Holy Spirit comes down, and they're speaking in tongues, the description that Luke gives, and you can read it later, he says there were people in Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire for this big Jewish festival called Pentecost. And he lists, I think, like 13 or something different nations they were from, and they all spoke different languages. Okay? And as the disciples who are now filled with the Holy Spirit begin to speak in tongues in these different languages, different people from different parts of the nation, they're speaking my language. They're speaking my language. They're speaking my language. And these are languages that they had never learned and probably didn't even understand themselves as they begin to speak it. Okay? Now, why do I say they may not have been in the upper room? Or at least at some point they left the upper room because eventually Peter preaches, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is his anointed message. Eventually he starts sharing this, and when it's all over, of all the people that have gathered, 3,000 of them get saved and baptized. So either they were already in the temple, or they were in the upper room, and somehow they made it to some big public place. All right. So anyway, that's what's happening. And as we look toward the end of that event, if you look down to verse 11, all these people from all over the Roman Empire say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Or in other words, they're drunk. They're drunk. Okay. So tonight, the title of our lesson is Peter's Anointed Message. Peter's Anointed Message. And we're going to take a look. It's a little bit lengthier than usual, but... Um, in this message that Peter brings to the crowd that is gathered, he explains what happened, why it happened, and what people needed to do about it. Now, the content of this message is great. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's exciting. We're so thankful for what God did through Jesus Christ, and he sends his Holy Spirit. But as I was studying for it, and I was thinking about teaching this, I thought, you know what? I want to make this really, 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 really practical. Okay? So how many of you think that, well... How many of you have ever actually preached a sermon? Okay, now I'm not talking about talking to your kids about their chores. I'm talking about in a church to a congregation, you've preached a sermon. That would be me, it would be Lynn, a couple others, all right? How many of you think that probably God will one day want you to preach a sermon? Maybe a couple additional people. So most of us, most of you would probably say, well, I don't know that God would ever want me to preach a sermon. And that's okay, because God calls some people to do that, and some he doesn't, many he doesn't. But how many of you say, you know what, I think that maybe 
Someday God may want to use me to speak to somebody else about Jesus, that God may give me a message to share with other people about Jesus. How many of you would say that's true for you? should be true for all of us if we know the Lord, right? So I want us to get, off our, get our minds off a little bit for the purpose of our lesson tonight that Peter is preaching a sermon. And that's why I didn't call it Peter's anointed sermon. I called it Peter's anointed message. Because even though Peter's preaching to a big group of people with an altar call to get saved, the principles that we see in here apply not just to sermons, but they apply to any time God lays it on our hearts to give a message to somebody from him. Okay? So that's how I want us to apply it tonight. All right? All right. So we're going to be working our way through Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. We'll just read it um, a couple verses at a time. And we see three different things that Peter did here in the course of giving this message that are three things that God can use us to do as he lays it upon our heart to take a message to someone. Okay? Number one is Peter explained the current situation. Peter explained the current situation. I know it sounds kind of vague, and that's on purpose, because the current situation is the day of Pentecost, and that's never going to happen again. But you're going to find yourself in all kinds of situations where you get into conversations with people, and you will have the opportunity to talk about that current situation from God's perspective, perhaps, or from your perspective as a believer and as someone who's trusting Jesus and the way God is impacted in your life. And God's going to call you to share a message And you're going to start off by explaining the current situation. So take a look at verse 14. All this stuff's going on. All these people are speaking in tongues. And the people are like, what's going on? They're full of awe. They're full of amazement. And some say, oh, they're just drunk. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11. So all 12 disciples are standing up. Remember, Judas is no longer there, but they chose Matthias to take his place. They all stand up, and apparently everybody got quiet. And it says, he addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, which is nine o'clock. All right. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And we'll stop there for right now. So Peter, being led by the Holy Spirit, stands up. All the other apostles stand with him, probably to show support. And God moves upon him to speak. Now, Peter is anointed here. It's really interesting. We can't tell it in the English, but in the Greek you can, that when it says that Peter stood up and lifted up his voice, that's the exact same word as what's used back in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 4, when it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Okay? It's talking about words that come from us, not that God's forcing us or whatever, but that it's anointed by God. And so Peter was an anointed message messenger, okay? Um, as we've talked about many times, Peter was a leader before um, the crucifixion, and he's emerging as the leader of the church at this point. And he is being anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring this message. Now, how can, how should, how can, how does this idea of being anointed by the Holy Spirit apply to our conversations with people? Can you think of any way in which that might apply to us? And it's really key that you say you're praying. And that's the first point on here. The points are going to have to do with the practical part, okay? We need to pray for the Holy Spirit anointing on, on the note she says, your conversations, but our conversations, okay? 
you may never be called to preach a message. As we just said, God may want to use me to, I believe God wants to use us to take a message. We need to understand that God wants to speak through us. Now, I don't mean he's going to whisper in your ear the exact words to say, okay? But if we are sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, he will guide and lead us. And I don't mean word for word. He may give us ideas, principles, and and obviously he uses his word. And the better we know his word, the easier it is for him to speak that kind of thing through us. But Jesus even said in the upper room that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, of the many that things that the Holy Spirit does, is he can bring things to our remembrance. He can guide us in what we speak. And so we need to just expect that as we're just trying to live for Jesus and he opens the door, that God's going to help us. That it won't be just based on what we've memorized or what we already know and all that kind of stuff, but that God's anointing can rest on us too. And by that, I don't mean that you should expect some kind of, as one person put, electrifying liver shiver, you know, experience, but just know that God's going to be with you. Okay, so we need to pray for the Holy Spirit's anointing on our conversations. So Peter gives the explanation, and it's interesting that he deals with their question first. What is this? But also the objection. These people must be drunk. Okay? And he says, no, no, no. They're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, you might say, I've known some people to get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Even if they didn't start the night before. (laughs) Okay? You have to understand, in their culture, um, all they had was beer and wine. And their wine was not as fermented as it is today. And most of the time, they mixed it with water. So it would take you a long... I mean, people got drunk. It would take you a long time to get drunk. He says, there's no way they're drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning, okay? Um, but the important point here is that Peter's got a message from God about Jesus. But where does he start? He starts where the people are. He starts with their questions. He even starts with their accusations, okay? Um, I read this as Peter began his message by answering a real question asked by the listeners, This is the pattern of every message in Acts. When you read through the book of Acts, look at every time there's a message shared, a message that Peter preached or Paul preached, or that may be the only two in Acts. I I can't remember for sure. But the speakers don't just launch into talking about Jesus, unless the question has to do with Jesus, or launch into the gospel. They start with something the audience can relate to. And that's a principle that good preachers do today. That's why a lot of times... When I get up to preach on Sunday morning, as I've thought about the message stuff, I'll ask you a question to make you think about something that applies to your life or something you've been through or something you can relate to that's going to lead up to the message that God has. And that's exactly what Peter does here. So the way this applies to our conversations is what I have on your note sheet for letter B. Talk about their interests, questions, and needs. Now, I'll be honest with you, we're good about that, (laughs) okay? We're good about having conversations about whatever comes up, whatever they got going on. We need more help with the transitioning into the spiritual things. But the thing is, we do need to do that, you know? We don't, I mean, there's a time and place if God lays it on your heart to go and speak to somebody and say, listen, I've got a message, God's just laid on, i got to just tell you this. But in most cases, we're going to be sharing Jesus with people we know or we're developing a relationship, and one of the ways we do this, we talk about what's going on in their life, And especially if they have a question about God or Jesus or the Bible or current events. You know, for the last couple of months, the situation in Ukraine, if we were open and all that kind of stuff and had conversations with other people about what's going on over there, God could, and maybe he did for some of you, use that as an opportunity talking about that current event to eventually lead into a spiritual conversation and share about Jesus. 
this shooting in Texas. God could possibly use that. Now, that'd be a tough one because the question they're probably going to answer is, how could God let that happen? That's a toughie. I understand that. But it could happen, and God could use that to lead into spiritual conversations. All right? So talk about their interests, questions, and needs. So he does that. But after he addresses that, he, he, he jumps into the explanation. So let's look at it, um, starting in verse 16. He says, this, that you've seen, that you've heard, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I didn't put it on your note sheet, but if you want to write this down, it's Joel 2, 28 to 32. Joel 2, 28 to 32. It's basically a quote, so you've got it right here, too. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes and the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, this thing that you're asking about, what is this? They must be drunk. No, they're not drunk. God talked about this. Now, remember, Peter is talking to Jewish people. There may be some Gentiles mixed in there, but these are all Jewish people. This is a familiar passage for them, okay? And when they heard this, educated Jewish people, which most of them were, knew that this passage was talking about the coming of the Messiah. All right? So it's a a lead into talking about Jesus. He says, this is what God spoke about through Joel. There would come a day when God's spirit would come on his people. And, you know, we're so used to that. You know, when we know Jesus, his spirit comes to dwell within us. He baptizes in his spirit. You know, we're used to the the fact that God wants to fill us with his presence and his power, but that's not the way it was before Jesus. God's Holy Spirit only moved upon certain individuals to accomplish certain things, and it wasn't a whole bunch of them. But God prophesied, one day, all my people will be filled with the spirit. Okay? And he says, in the last days. Now, when we think of the last days, we think of the few years before Jesus comes back. But biblically speaking, the last days started when Jesus went to heaven. All right, so we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. All right. But anyway, he said that, you know, everybody will be filled with the Spirit. There'll be different kinds of manifestations, prophecy. That basically means speaking what God once said. All right. He says, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Basically, a similar idea, just different ways of saying it, okay? Or could it be things that you'd see while you're awake or while you're asleep, all right? He said the Holy Spirit will be available for every. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. And it doesn't matter what your social status is. He says even the servants, even the slaves will be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And then he says this thing that may be a little bit confusing. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun turned to darkness, moon to blood. That sounds like the last, last days, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of different explanations of what exactly does it mean, because that didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. Some say it was kind of symbolic of the supernatural things that happened. Some say it was kind of looking back to the crucifixion, because some of those things happened to the crucifixion. But I personally believe, and a lot of Bible scholars believe, that what it's talking about is that is what's going to happen in the last, last days, and that he's basically saying that God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit, and it's going to be available for the whole time until we get to the end. Okay? All right. So, 
in explaining what happened, he dealt with their question, he dealt with their objection or their criticism or their accusation, but then he jumps into God's word. How would that apply to our conversations that we might have with other people and we're talking about current events or whatever? How might that apply to us? Any thoughts? My question may not be as clear as I'd like it to be. Sometimes they aren't. Well, I'll just give it to you. Okay. On your note sheet, letter C, bring God's perspective into the conversation. Okay? Like I said, we're really good about talking about current events and how we feel about it and what's going on in your life and this is what's going on in my life and my marriage and family and all that kind of stuff. But as you are developing, and keep in mind, this could be one conversation. This could be a couple years of conversations, you know, or a number of conversations like, like Nora was talking about earlier, the number of conversations you've had with your neighbor and they progressed, you know, and different things have been said and done and prayers and stuff, and you're still in the middle of that. But over time, whatever you're talking about, okay, bring God's perspective into the conversation. Where do we get God's perspective from? God's word, primarily. And any other means of getting his perspective has to line up with God's word. So what would be other means of his perspective? Our experience of him. You know, you may be talking to somebody and they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I am really, really struggling with depression. You know, and so you talk about that a little bit. And you say, you know what, when I don't, if you've dealt with depression, you can certainly deal with that from your perspective. Maybe you've never dealt with it, but you've felt down or whatever. You say, you know, when I really struggle with the way I feel, Jesus helps me with that. Okay, that's your experience. There's not a verse that says Jesus will help you with depression, but that's your experience based on the word of God that Jesus helps me with that. And from that, then you can get into the word of God. You can point people to Jesus. And so just about any situation you can think of, you know, God can anoint you and guide you and lead you to turn a conversation to talk about Jesus by bringing God's perspective into it. Okay? Now, I will say this. Just make sure you know what you're talking about as best you can, okay? Um, You say, what do you mean by that? You're talking to somebody about the shooting in Texas. You say, well, that's just a sign of the last days. I think Jesus is coming back in the next year, okay? He could. All that may be very well is true, but you don't know that. You don't want to share things that end up being a big distraction from them coming to know Jesus or feel like they can negate the message, you know, so anyway, again, just make sure you know what you're talking about as best you can. All right. He, he wraps that section up, still quoting from Joel, but this is the whole purpose. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what does Peter do next? Let number two on your note sheet, Peter exalted the Savior. Peter exalted the Savior. He lifted up Jesus. He pointed them to Jesus. Okay. Jesus is the center of the message, not the Holy Spirit. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the Holy Spirit's big day. In all of history, in all the things the Holy Spirit's done, you know, he hovered over the waters of creation, and he came upon certain people in the Old Testament. This is his big day, God. Jesus pours him out. He fills all the beliefs, all these supernatural things. It's his big day, but he doesn't get the attention. As human beings, we struggle with that, but God doesn't struggle with that. Because the Bible says that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. Jesus said that in John 15, 26, in the upper room, he said, when the helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, um, I don't want to be, what I want to say, I want to say something, and it's not meant to be negative. Maybe you've experienced this yourself, but there are some churches that are so, in Pentecostal churches or non-Pentecostal, whatever, they're so focused on the Holy Spirit, it's almost like Jesus takes a back seat. That's not the way God wants it to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with us giving attention to the Holy Spirit. We're going to be preaching on that on the day of Pentecost this year, you know, and, and other times preaching and teaching and stuff. But the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. A true Spirit-filled church will exalt Jesus and lead people to Jesus primarily. Okay? So, what is the focus of, Jesus, uh, of Peter's message? Let's look at it here, first, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, you might say, well, why did he say he was a man? When he gets to the end of the message, he's going to realize he's not just a man. He's God. (laughs) He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Okay. But he's starting out. He says, you know Jesus is a man. All right. These guys knew all about Jesus. They were there. They heard the stories. Some of them may have been at the cross. Some of them may have been the ones. In fact, they probably were the ones that said, crucify him. So the first thing he points out is Jesus' life and ministry. And he immediately says that what Jesus said and did, there was a lot of doubt. There was like, it was done by God through him. Okay? Jesus' life and ministry, and it was substantiated by God. Then we get into verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That took a lot of boldness, right? And please understand, he's talking to that specific audience. There were people in that audience who were actively involved in the crucifixion taking place. There have been people through history that have tried to blame the whole Jewish race as somehow more liable and more accountable for the death of Jesus than anybody else, and that's not right, okay? But he talks about Jesus' crucifixion. Note that he says it was part of God's plan, but the people are still responsible. There's a lot of things that happen that are part of God's plan, but whoever causes it to happen are still responsible, all right? So then he goes on in verse 24. He says, God raised him up. He was crucified. You guys did it. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me, you will make me full, of your gladness, full of gladness with your presence. That's a quote, okay? Um, should have put that on there, sorry. That's Psalm 16, if you want to write that on your notes, okay? Brothers, now Peter's speaking again. He's not just quoting. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb's with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that 
And of that, we are all witnesses. That's another reason why the 11 stood up with him. I can imagine him just kind of gesturing. All of us, we saw it. We saw him. So he talked about the resurrection. He basically said, God reversed the decision of the Jerusalem leaders. And he supports that by giving a prophecy that was given by their King David. You know? And, you know, the psalm that David wrote that was a prophecy made it sound like David said, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to decay. And he said he did. So it was obviously a prophecy, and he's looking for it. He's seeing Jesus here because David did die, by the way. His tomb's right over there, you know. It's talking about Jesus. This is the one. Did you have your hand up, Lynn? I thought I saw you kind of. Go ahead. I was trying to make you an appropriate time, so. Under the influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, under the influence, yep. That's right, that's right. You know, um, Paul writes about how we need to be filled with the Spirit, and it's not a one-time thing. It means continuously filled with the Spirit. That is being under the influence of the Spirit. We need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a main part of what Paul talked about, uh, Peter talked about here was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Okay? His death and his resurrection. And he used some things that were said by David, things that were very, you know, the Psalms that were very, very familiar to the Jewish people, saying this is talking about Jesus. He's supporting it with Scripture. Okay? And he says, we have all seen it. We saw him. We're witnesses of this, okay? But he doesn't stop with the resurrection. He goes on to Jesus' exaltation to God's right hand. Look at verse 33. It says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He mentions it again. In case you didn't get it the first time, you're the ones that are responsible. All right. But he talks about Jesus' exaltation to God's right hand. It wasn't just that he died and he rose again. God did something special. But Jesus actually went to heaven and poured out this that you see today because... He is Lord, which is the word that is used for God all through the Old Testament. Jesus is God, and he is Christ, which was the Jewish Messiah, the ones they had been waiting, the ones, one they had all been waiting for, okay? And then there's, uh, he quotes again from David. I, I'm sorry I didn't get these on your note sheet, but where it says, David quoted, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, not 10. 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, Okay. And he says, David said that, but he wasn't talking about himself. He once again was talking about Jesus. All right? And then the last thing there, I already read it. He talked about Jesus' identity as Lord and Christ. All right? Lord and Christ. Now, he says here, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, if you go back to what he said in verse 21 i got to get there. Quoting Joel, he said, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's bringing that back up again. This is the Lord you need to call upon. This Jesus is the Lord. This Jesus is your Messiah, our Messiah. We've been waiting so long. And this is the one 
that we need to call. And so basically, he tells this whole story, and he ends up by basically saying, Jesus is in heaven, and he's in control. And he's the one you've got to look to. Okay? I was going to read this, but we won't have enough time, I don't think, if I do. But I encourage you later to read the passage I do have on your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, because this is Paul. You know, Peter and Paul. And Paul is saying, this is basically the essence of the gospel. This is what I've preached to you all along, and you've got to cling to it. And he says, this is Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's what's led to your salvation. So how does this apply to our conversations with other people? Vita? Oh, you got something else to say. Go ahead. That's a very good point. If you have the opportunity to get to know and minister to someone who's a Jewish person, you're going to have to do it primarily out of the Old Testament at first, you know, and point them to Jesus. So that's a very good point. And that's exactly what Peter's doing because that's all they have. They don't have the New Testament yet. Most of it hasn't even been spoken or written down yet, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, where did Peter learn all this stuff? Well, Luke tells us that during those 40 days, Jesus spoke with his disciples and pointed out in the Old Testament how that all pointed to him, Okay? All right. So practical application to us. How does this apply to us if God lays on us to develop a relationship, have conversations, share the gospel with other people? Letter A, always make it your goal to point people to Jesus. Always make it your goal to point people to Jesus. And the letter B follows up on that. Don't get sidetracked by peripheral issues. You say, what's peripheral mean? It means side issues, okay? Don't get sidetracked. Now, does that mean there's never a time to talk about things other than Jesus? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you're going to build a relationship with someone, you're probably not going to have much of a relationship or a very long-lived relationship if all you ever do is talk about Jesus, okay, unless they're really hungry for that, okay? I'm talking about that when you have one of those conversations, like, this is the moment, this is when I really need to share with them about Jesus. And there could be a number of those along the way. You may spend a whole time talking about your favorite recipes or how do you change the oil in your car or whatever. The topic might be that you're talking to your neighbor or your friend, your coworker, whatever. You know, and anytime you can work Jesus into it, you know, but, but I mean, do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and, and in a way that makes sense. You know, you're not talking with your neighbor about changing your oil. And he says, yeah, I changed my oil the other day. He said, yeah, you know what? I gave my heart to Jesus 12 years ago. You've got to have some kind of transition in there, okay? So, um, but anyway, when you have one of those conversations, you know God is doing that. Then, then don't get sidetracked from other, things. I, uh, other issues. I think of Jesus ministering to the woman at the well. She kept trying to bring up other issues. But he wanted to reveal that he was the Messiah, so he kept bringing it back. Kept bringing it back. And so we can do that, okay? Um, I would put it this way. Um, this doesn't mean you can't ever talk about non-spiritual issues or even spiritual, biblical issues that are not related to Jesus. You may have somebody say, well, I want to talk about end-time events. And it's like, well, how do you think the world's going to end? Blah, 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 blah. That's great, all right? But then eventually bring Jesus into that. But when the Holy Spirit is moving upon you and the other person, focus on Jesus, who he is, what he did, and what that means for us. So number three, we've got five minutes if we're going to be on time to finish this up. Number three, what did Peter do? Peter exhorted the sinners. Peter exhorted the sinners. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? They were convicted. Yeah, nobody pulled out a knife and did heart surgery. They were convicted. Their consciences were stung. 
Peter says, you, I mean, and even more so than maybe we would because they were actually literally involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. At least many of them probably were. Okay? They were convicted. And by the way, that's another work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said that in John 16, 8. All right? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And conviction is important. We need that conviction to realize we are sinners and that we need a Savior. Uh, And to be honest with you, there's not probably going to be much change in our lives or depth of commitment without that conviction. Okay? So it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now let me just pause there and say some things about that's not in this story. They are convicted. They are ready. You may have some conversations that in that particular conversation, the person's not ready yet. All right? I can tell you that most of the time, you're not going to have people say, well, what can I do to be a Christian? <laughs> All right? That's the way we wish it was. All right? Um, and we can help lead people to that point. But that's another area where we need to be led by the Spirit and sense of the Spirit. Is this a time? And, and, and I mean, you can, it's always the right time to say, and by the way, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He'd love to be your Savior. But that might not be the time they're ready to accept that. But at least you've planted that seed. But there will come a time, hopefully, to say, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. All right? So the first thing on your note sheet here is pray, or letter A, under this particular part, pray that the unbeliever's heart will be convicted of the truth. Pray that the unbeliever's heart will be convicted of the truth. All right? So, after they say, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we pray that the unbeliever's heart is convicted of the truth because we want to see them come to repentance. All right. He mentions repentance. That's the next thing on your note sheet. Lead the unbeliever to repentance and faith. To repentance and faith. And both of those things are important. Here, a lot of people emphasize faith, and you have to have faith. You can't be saved without faith. But yet, repentance is important too. You know, over and over, you see John and Jesus preaching about repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. Peter, repent and believe. Paul preaches repent and believe. We've got to repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ. What does repentance mean? To turn around, yeah. It most often involves a sorrow or at least a conviction. You've done something wrong. I like this definition. I probably should have probably... I left a number of things on your note sheet off that I I didn't mean to do it on purpose. But a mind and attitude change that leads to a behavior change. You know, if you've truly repented, it's not just changing your mind and your attitudes. If you really change your mind, it's going to change your behavior too. Okay, You turn from sin to God. And, of course, when you put the repentance and the faith together, you establish this personal relationship with God, with Jesus. And he mentions baptism in there. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Baptism is that public demonstration or proclamation of the fact that you're following Jesus. It's symbolic of being washed of your sins. It's also symbolic of the fact that you have died to your old life, been resurrected to a new life, just as Jesus died and was raised again. Okay? And then he goes on to say, in verse 38, we already read it, for the forgiveness of sins. This is such the neat part of it. When we get to this part, let her see, assure the new believer of forgiveness of sins. 
don't know about you, but when I really fully understood that I was really forgiven, I was just overwhelmed. I think sometimes as we get older in the Lord, we can kind of take it for granted. But it's just amazing that God has forgiven us. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. And then the last thing on there is sure the new believer of God's desire to fill them with the Holy Spirit. God's presence and power is available. He says, you know, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off. I mean, I think he's talking about not only far off distance-wise, but time-wise. It's available for all of us. And we can't dig deeply into it tonight because it's about time to finish, but we'll talk more about it on Pentecost Sunday. Okay? The Bible makes it very, very clear that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we repent, we put our faith in him, that his Holy Spirit dwells within us. But as Pentecostals, what that means is that we believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost can happen today, too, and does happen today. And that is that God wants to fill us full to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. And that's something we should seek, and not just a one-time event, but over and over and over again. So we'll talk more about that on Pentecost Sunday. Now, let's wrap this up here, starting in verse 40. It says, And with many other words he bore witness. In other words, that's not his whole sermon. That was just kind of his introduction or whatever. He said many other words. So if you ever hear somebody long-winded, maybe they're just following the Lord. I don't know. But and with many other words, maybe they're not. I don't know. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So there's a lot of things we can drop in this passage. I just mentioned that all believers should seek and expect to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We should pray for and expect anointed conversations. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives is to draw or point people to Jesus. And Jesus must be at the center of all we do. But I just want to encourage you to review the things we talked about. Because if we had just studied Peter's sermon... And what he said and how it applied to the people, well, that's great. And those are wonderful truths. But how does that apply to me? Well, the principles apply to how God might want to use you with the people that you end up having a relationship with and have conversations with. Wow, we got done exactly on time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together tonight to look at how Peter, under your anointing and your leading, explained what happened on the day of Pentecost in such a way that multitudes were led to Jesus. God, you may or may not use us to lead multitudes to Jesus, but God uses us to lead somebody to Jesus. God, help us to apply what we've learned tonight to expect that you will work in and through us to touch other people's lives, that you will guide our thoughts, that you'll guide our conversations, that you will work in their hearts to bring conviction, and, and not just conviction of sin, but conviction of your love. And Father, help us. Lord, help us not to get uptight. Am I doing it right? but just pointing people to Jesus. And may they come to him. And Lord, I just add this to that. We all have friends and loved ones that are not right with you. They're not living for Jesus now. Maybe they never have. Maybe they've professed it at one time and they're not. And Lord, our hearts are burdened for them. Lord, bring them to yourself or bring them back to yourself and use us in that process. Father, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. 
If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.